Coming up on The Mark Divine Show. The life that I crave is based on connectedness, but it's also based on like hitting home runs. I think that if more people could be more sincere about the life that they crave and more willing to create that life, then I think we would have a lot more successful businesses and happy people. Welcome to the Mark Divine Show. This is your host, Mark Divine. Super stoked to have you here. Thank you very much for being part of this adventure. On the Mark Divine Show, I like to explore what it means to be courageous by speaking to some of the most inspirational and compassionate and resiliently courageous leaders from around the world. I speak to all types of folks, motivational scientists, nutritional experts, peace crusaders, and uh, female entrepreneurs who are changing the world with mental health and a recovery. My guest today is Marcia Stone. CEO and founder of Foundation Stone, which is a network of specialized programs for individuals and families dealing with mental health and addiction issues across the United States. Marsha integrates her personal experience with addiction into her work, providing high-quality rehabilitation services. She's also the founder of BRC Healthcare, overseeing its expansion for over a decade to a sale in 2020. Marsha is a prominent figure in the recovery industry. She is the author, the co-author of Rewired Workbook, a manual for addiction recovery. This has made appearances in many media outlets. She holds a JD with academic distinctions and is a licensed chemical dependency counselor in Austin, Texas, where she resides. Before I get into the show, I wanted you to know that I'm opening up slots for our Unbeatable Coach Certification and our Unbeatable Team for 2024. The Unbeatable Team is an amazing year of transformational training. It's where I direct my full attention and time in coaching and training. I don't do it anywhere else. It's here in the Unbeatable Team that I can give my full attention to help those deeply committed to transforming to become uncommon in a world that you know is rapidly collapsing into fear, moral relativism, and mediocrity. We meet virtually every month as a team, come together four times during the year for three days of powerful in-person training and practice, and I'm here to help you break through any barriers and to crush all of your goals for 2024. So if you're ready to go deep with me and willing to do the work, I can guarantee amazing strides will be made. Go to unbeatableteam.com and unbeatablecoaching.com to learn more about these unbeatable events. Now, back to the show. Thanks so much for joining me on the Mark Divine Show. Super stoked to have you here. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Thank you for asking me. You know, I don't get to talk to too many female entrepreneurs and business leaders, so I'm, I'm stoked to kind of get your perspective on that. Before I dig into that and kind of your, um, you know, your experiences in, in running a business that's involved in mental health, Give us a sense for where, you know, where you came from. Like, what, what was the origin story of Marsha Stone? Like, where, where are you from? What were your influences, good, bad, and ugly, that helped shape who you are? It's interesting, you know, to be in this podcast world where we get to ask each other these, you know, sort of deep and searching questions. But it's fun, you know, to kind of look back and put the breadcrumbs together like Hansel and Gretel. I was born and raised in South Georgia, and, um, you know, my family was sort of small town lawyers and tobacco farmers and stuff like that. And um, I had a lot of family around me growing up, so I had a lot of support in that way. My parents divorced when I was really young. And I think if I'm looking back and trying to kind of pinpoint, you know, when did the heartbreak occur that needed, you know, anesthesia in the future in terms of alcohol and drugs, I I think it was a lot about that, you know, and um abandonment and and not being quite sure where you fit into this world and all those, you know, big feelings for little kids, right? I went to college in Virginia and married my 
sort of college sweetheart, also my best drinking buddy. And we had three kids by the time I was 24. And um, he hit the eject button and uh, went home to his mom. And, you know, for me, my career really started when I realized sort of really quickly I was going to have to be able to support myself and my children. At that time, I had two years of college. And I remembered that I had won a debate competition in high school and decided that maybe I could be a lawyer. People say, did you go to law school because, you know, you had this aching desire to practice environmental law and, you know, to save the whales? No. I mean, I hate to say this, but I was trying to get to a place. You were a good debater. Hey, that makes sense. That's true. And I wanted to have some security, right? That's what I was always sort of searching for. And I did that. And and I actually got a, a scholarship to go to law school and went through that experience with three little kids. And that's when I really started to have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. I chalked it up to stress. I chalked it up to, you know, if you had my life, you would dot, dot, dot. But I didn't really understand anything about alcoholism or addiction. I didn't know about genetic components. You know, in the South, you don't air your dirty laundry. So I had no idea that in my family tree for hundreds of years, there was mental illness and addiction, alcoholism, intergenerational trauma. Once I finished with law school, I thought that I was going to, you know, get my drinking under control and sort of do the right thing for America. And that was my intention. And, and I really tried, but I couldn't pull it off. And, you know, I didn't understand. And it still is, you know, sort of one of those esoteric questions. Even today, if I make up my mind to do anything, I'm usually able to have the work ethic to do it, except when it comes to my relationship with alcohol and drugs. And making that decision every morning, I'm not going to drink this afternoon at all. And then doing that almost against my will. And so all those things started to happen, and it was just question mark after question mark for me. So for the listener who doesn't maybe is curious, I wonder if I'm like that, or they're like, oh, I'm totally not like that, or I'm really curious, what was that like, you know? Yeah. So yeah, what, what did that look like for you? So, you know, when I finished with law school, I became the first female assistant district attorney in the Southern Judicial District of Georgia. This was 1999. Big job for a little girl, right? I'm 29 years old. I've got three kids. You know, my husband kind of came back and left and came back and left. We did that for a long time, but there was a lot of pressure on me. I was confused and scared because it literally is. It's like Groundhog Day. I drink too much. I pass out, whatever. I wake up the next morning. I have a hangover. I'm trying to get my coffee down, trying to go to work, trying to take the kids to school and promising myself, you know, okay, that's done. Tonight we're playing Monopoly where I'm going to make spaghetti. It's going to be a normal night. And then somehow about three or four o'clock in the afternoon, it felt like I changed my mind. I would start to have these thoughts like it wasn't that bad. Like you only drank two bottles of wine, like plenty of people drink two bottles of wine. And it's just constant negotiation. And I had no idea that there is a brain science involved here and that I was not actually changing my mind. It's almost as my neurotransmitters were changing my mind for me, and I just wasn't educated about that. But, you know, one of the things that I'm really grateful for, and this sounds so weird, I was not one of those people that, like, you know, stayed home and drank and and was quiet about it. You know, I was driving. I was doing drugs. It was just, you know, (laughs) it was always like... You wore it on your sleeve. I did. There was like this big dust ball around me wherever I went. You know, it's like a Tasmanian devil or something. So I ended up having a really bad car accident. This is a small town. There's nothing going on. They put my picture in the paper. My family's devastated and shamed. And um, everybody's kind of pointing to me like, she's got a problem. 
Now, knowing what I know now, I was like the recipient and the holder of hundreds of years of problems. You were part of a system of yeah. problem, <laughs> big problem, capital P. Yeah. I was really screaming like, this is effed up. But I didn't have those words, right? So I was just acting crazy and out of control. Long story short, um, I went to treatment the first time, 2002. I basically stayed sober, and I was practicing law that whole time. I moved to North Carolina. I had licensed therein in Georgia. And by that time, I had my own practice. Things were going well. I get remarried. We have five kids, blended family, beautiful white picket fence. Everybody's driving nice cars and mm -hmm. the latest Air Jordans to go to school. All that stuff, right? That That is like a good life in America. Yeah. And one day, out of the blue, I relapsed. And it became sort of the beginning of the end of all that. Within a year, I lost my license. I lost my house. I lost my car. CPS took custody of my children. My mom kept my kids for a year. Oh, my God. It was tragic. And it was like, it's what I did, though. Like, I burned it all the way down. I wasn't just going to, you know, have a bonfire in the backyard. It was going to be mm -hmm. like a five-alarm fire. And after that happened, I um, went to long-term gender-specific treatment. And because my license was suspended, when I moved to Texas, my husband's from Texas, I started working in the treatment business thinking I was just going to do that until I got my law license back, reactivated. Mark, I just fell in love with the work. I fell in love with this idea of understanding how like all the darkest points of my life and all the trauma and all the pain and all the tears and all the lies and all the sweeping things under the rug. Now, all of that was all of a sudden useful to me to help other people. And so, you know, when I think about like, you know, the similarities in my sort of career choices, it's always been about trying to help other people. I hate a bully. I love an underdog. I love, you know, comeback stories. And um, what I found out in recovery that I never knew before is I'm an entrepreneur. I mean, from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, my assistant came in today and she was like teasing me for being a night owl because I was texting her at like midnight last night with an idea I have for, you know, like a new sober living concept. And through all of that process, I just got to the point that I was just so grateful and so excited that I kind of knew like, this is my purpose. This is why I'm here. And because of all that, you know, I've had several different um, businesses and and found a real, you know, sort of acumen for business that I never knew I had and um, have been really successful in that way. And I'm proud of that. But what I'm more proud of is all that loudness in my family, literally, you know, my kids are all in recovery now. They've been to treatment. You know, my dad got sober at 74. And it's just really cool because I can share these experiences with other people, not only from, you know, like a professional perspective, but a personal perspective as well. You know, that saying, like, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day. I feel like I should have that tattooed on my chest or something because it's like, it's my life, you know, recovery, the behavioral health business, all of these things are just, you know, I guess who I am, who I always needed to be, but I just had to walk through a lot of the mud and the mire to get there and get, you know, over to the other side so I can talk about gratitude. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, the trauma that leads to, whether it's generational or situational trauma. Still trauma. Still trauma <laughs> that leads to, you know, addictions and codependency and all that. People can function in the outer world at, at a pretty high level without ever addressing any of that. We see it all over the place. There's like narcissists rule the world. And this has been a big push for me for the last uh, like 10 years. My latest book was uh, called Staring Down the Wolf. And it's about leaders really taking a look at their shadow, right? And say, you know what? 
you're the limiting factor in your team because you're not willing. You think you have to be perfect or you think you are perfect and you're wearing all these masks because you haven't dealt with your own trauma. Right. And some people are offended by that when I say, well, you have trauma, period. Because if you were born human, you have trauma. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So where I'm going with this is the skills to be a, a, an entrepreneur and a leader, you're going to be profoundly more effective because of the trauma and having dealt with it or having the awareness of the trauma and having dealt with it, right? Doing the really deep emotional work, staring down that wolf of fear. So I applaud you. And it's not easy. It's scary work, right? That's scary. And that's why a lot of people don't want to do it. Really scary. I did therapy, of course, when I was going to treatment, but I did a lot of therapy, you know, when I left treatment. And then I kind of like got into, I'm going to say workaholism, but I was really like work focused for about six years. And one day I woke up and all of a sudden it was just like some memories and just, you know, I was observing my relationships with certain personality styles, you know, always ending badly. And I actually went back and did like a week of um, personal experiential sort of one-on-one with a therapist in uh, Tennessee, actually. And that to me, it's almost like, you know, your brain protects itself from pain that it's not ready to handle. And so after I'd been, you know, like sort of eating and sleeping and exercising and praying for like six or seven years, it was almost like something inside me said, okay, we're ready to deal with this now. And I'm just really grateful that I didn't hide from it. I didn't drink over it. I didn't, you know, I had all of the experiences and education that pointed me toward do the work. And that's what you're saying. Because I think what happens is when people are scared to do the work or don't know that they need to do the work or whatever reason, don't want to take the time, whatever the excuse is, it doesn't matter because if you don't address it, you're going to bleed all over everybody around you one way or another. Over the years, I've sent most of my executive directors to do some personal work like that. You know, there's been so many times that friends and family, you know, have called me up, you know, what do you think? I think you're in the second layer of the onion now. So you're going to have to sit down for long enough to, you know, look at it, get it out, talk about it, whatever you need to do. Because I've seen so many people, you know, blow up their marriage, blow up their business because they're just afraid to look at sort of the undercoating of their actions. And I love what you said. You've got to stop, right? Yeah. People who haven't addressed the underlying issues, let's just call them that, they're in constant motion. Right. Which is another anesthetic. Which is an aesthetic, right. They're in constant motion trying to distract themselves and avoid, you know, having to just stop long enough for that that situation to arise where they can then stare at it and look at it and be like, Oh, interesting. That pattern is you know, keeps coming up and up and up and up. So instead of running from it, now you can confront it and objectify it and then deal with it, whether it's through a therapeutic process or some people are effective at dealing with it just through that awareness of it. But it's difficult. I always recommend uh, professional help. I'm curious. I want to get into kind of like the business of healthcare and recovery and your challenges as a female leader and CEO. But before, you know, to bridge it, you know, if someone's listening goes, yeah, you know, Mark, you're right. Sharon, you're right. I do drink too much or I do, you know, constantly chasing something to avoid something else. Well, what tools have you found to be most effective in your program? I think one of the reasons that my programs, our programs are effective, not only clinically effective, the clients are having a good experience and that's one part of it. But the other part of it for me is what does my retention look like? How many people are coming in and out of this door? How many people are quitting? How many HR complaints are we getting? What's going on? 
It's interesting, we opened up a new mental health program in May of this year. And we had like a soft opening in a week of training. And I went out and I gave like about an hour-long talk to all the new employees. And I said something along the lines of, if you're living in Austin, Texas, and you're applying to work at one of you know, Marsha's programs, Marsha's son's programs, you have probably heard some things before you came here. And you probably have heard that I am demanding that I demand excellence, that I'm going to push you, that I'm going to ask more of you than you think you can do. And all of that is true. And here's why it's true, right? If I'm called into this work, if I'm literally called to work in behavioral health, to me, that means I am in the business of saving lives every single day. We don't call it emergency room. We don't call it a hospital. You know, we call it so-and-so recovery center, so-and-so wellness center. These clients are in the fight of their life. And I know that because I was there. And if I'm going to enter into this business of helping people survive and fight for their life, then I'm going to need to show up with 100% every day. Oh, you can't show up with 100% every day. Yes, you can. Yes, you absolutely can. And I told the new employees, I said, and also you guys are, are capable of much more than you realize. And we've got a way and we've got a system and we've got a training program. And when you come out of this, you know, a year or two down the road, whether you stay with our organizations or you don't, you will have basically, you know, a Harvard PhD education in how to function in behavioral health and to do it well. I don't shy away from that. I'm proud of that. And I feel like sometimes when we're teachers or, you know, drug counselors or you know, whatever, some of these like highly demanding jobs that don't necessarily have the monetary, you know, remuneration that they should, right? Then to me, what that says is I have to fill in that space for people so that they will be attracted to wanting to do this work with us and that they will sign up and be on board with like the excellence that we demand. What I've heard from people is in terms of communication with treatment centers, behavioral health firms, there's, you know, the name of my company, and then there's everybody else. And that's the biggest compliment to me because what that says is the people that are working with me, first of all, I'm not asking them to do anything that I don't do and haven't done and wouldn't do. And I see that the lights come on and that they're having an experience with feeling good about themselves and realizing that they have talents and abilities and education and they're proud of themselves. And I feel like that there's, you know, a real synergy between what's going on with employees and what's going on with the clients because we're providing a space for growth and transformation in both those areas. That's really cool. Now, I thought you were going to give me some like tool, but I, it makes, I 100% agree with you. You know, it's the caring presence. It's culture. Yeah, the culture and the caring presence of the healers that provides the transform, you know, the possibility for transformation and the modeling, right, and the space. Right. And the tools are the tools, right? Those those are going to be similar across different disciplines, but it's the people that make the difference. Exactly. I never want our clients or their families to feel like that they kind of drop their daughter or their son or their wife or husband off at our front door and we say or give any kind of impression that we're like, don't call us, we'll call you, see you in 30 days. That doesn't work. I don't think it's ever worked. What we're doing is a lot of collaboration. We consider the family to be part of the treatment team. I was doing a, uh, a panel last week and, and they said, you know, what's the future? What are you doing now versus what you were doing before? And I said, you know, the future, I think, is collaboration, more of collaboration and not just 
they have addiction, they have mental health, they have co-occurring disorders. It's all the same, right? And the more people that we can get interested in that process and in that transformation and in that longevity and holding that recovery in place, the better for everyone, for families, for individuals, for employers, for the world. And I'm excited about that happening because I feel like sort of recovery is almost transitioning into a word that sounds like wellness and talking holistic. And to me, that resonates with me because it's not, I didn't just have a problem drinking too much, right? I mean, he's like, there was like a a whole litany of problems and things that had gone awry and needed healing. Right. But the point was you weren't a bad or broken human being who needed to be, you know, named something. Right. Right. That's why I've, I've always had an issue even with the isms, right? Like, yeah, there's alcohol in my in my family, but don't don't call me anything near that, right? Like, right. no, 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 no. So treating something as part of a system that has negative energy in it and whatnot, and then you can move toward the positives. And the positive side is health and wholeness. So when you approach things from the health and wholeness and integrative perspective, and you know, there's things we can do behaviorally, there's things we can do cognitively, spiritually, bringing the family in. So treat it as a whole system, like you said, and then begin to see that. Some of those negative things really, like you said, belong to somebody else and, and you can like detach from those and all of a sudden it frees that energy up. And then there's some that you own because you took it on as a child and it's within your psyche or your energy body. But this whole scapegoat, right? The whole, this whole scapegoat thing in the family, that's bull. That's, that was never true. Right. It's not who you are. It just, it just happened. Exactly. And I'm not ashamed of it anymore. Right. You know, and that's the gift, Right. I don't care if I'm talking to Mark Devine. I don't, it wouldn't matter to me if I was being interviewed by, you know, President Biden. For your short interview. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh my gosh, sorry, that wasn't up. I'm just kidding. I uh, was doing a talk sometime um, on like the steps of the Capitol in Texas. And I said something about being an alcoholic and somehow that ended up on YouTube. I don't know how these things work. But um, I've had so many people say to me, like, how could you get on the steps of the Capitol and say that you're an alcoholic? And I was like, I am. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, that's like me saying, like, I have green skin and purple eyes. No, you don't. You know, so yeah, I don't know. But to sort of like own it, to own it and make it a part of my story and how that goes forward, it doesn't make sense without reflection and honesty about the past. And and so that's, you know, when I'm talking to employees, when I'm setting up culture, you know, the things that we always talk about are honesty, humility, courage, you know, sisterly love, and the spirit of um, collaboration. A win for an employee is a win for me. A win for me is a win for them. I had another business, the first business I started on behavioral health, and I went through sort of a transaction and brought in some investors and sold part of it in 2020. It was kind of a nightmare for me because I really realized there was more emotion to it than I was aware of. I knew that there was some, but I had a two-year contract to work there. And it's like watching someone else not do it quite right with your child every single day. It's just, it was, it was hard, but worked out the contract, did the non-compete and just this year started a new program, a set of programs, a new platform. And a lot of the people that had worked with me before called up and said, hey, what are you doing? We want to come over there, right? Oh, cool. And Mark, I mean, I'm telling you, like, until the day I die, I think that might be one of the biggest compliments I've ever received. Right. Because even if it was hard, even if I was demanding, even if all these things, they wanted to be a part of it because it's based in spiritual principles and greatness. And Mm -hmm. that makes me proud. (laughs) 
Okay, we're going to take a short break here from the Mark Devine Show to hear a short message from one of our partners. You know, I think sleep is one of the most underrated but most important things that you can do for your overall health, both physically and mentally. Suboptimal sleep will affect your moods, it'll affect your gut, it'll affect your motivation, it'll affect your energy, everything. So you got to get that sleep. Momentous' sleep pack is incredible. Their combination of ingredients helps me get to sleep fast, stay asleep longer, and have that high-quality deep sleep. Their sleep pack is super convenient. Comes in single-serve pouches. They've got all the essential ingredients for an incredible night's sleep. Momentous products are developed in collaboration with experts like Dr. Huberman and Andy Galpin. They're used by 90% of NFL teams. It's in over 200 pro and college locker rooms. It's not just sports teams, though, who rely on Momentous. Many of my military elite operators also use it to help ratchet up their sleep. Trust is everything. When it comes to supplements, I trust Momentous because of their unparalleled commitment to rigorous third-party testing and certification, ensuring that what's on the label is what's in the product, nothing else. They call it the Momentous Standard. No matter what your goal is or what you want to achieve, you've got to get sleep. Momentous is on a relentless drive to help you get there. Check it out at livemomentous.com. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com. Use the code DIVINE, D-I-V-I-N-E, at checkout. It's 20% off of their sleep products and all of their other products, for, for that matter. That's L-I-V-E-momentous.com. Use the code DIVINE. You know, it's hard to admit it, and sometimes I find it hard to believe, but I am 60 years old, but I can still put in physical training and daily schedules that break a lot of guys about half my age. And I plan on going this strong for decades to come. So if you want a lifestyle that defies your age, a great place to start is by adding Qualia Synolytic to your wellness routine. Qualia Synolytic does something science didn't know was possible until 2015. As we get older, our bodies accumulate senescent cells. They're also called zombie cells. They're old cells that no longer do their job, but they linger in us anyway, wasting our energy and nutrition. And the older we get, the more we accumulate these senescent cells. This leads to many aging challenges, slow recovery, low energy, joint discomfort, basically feeling old. In 2015, scientists at Scripps and Mayo Clinic discovered there's a natural plant-derived ingredient that helps our bodies eliminate these cells. And Qualia Synolytic combines nine of these game-changing ingredients into a simple supplement. The difference Qualia Synolytic has made for my own aging process has simply been incredible. I feel like I'm living a lifestyle of someone so much younger. By keeping these senescent cells to a minimum, my energy and vitality can stay strong and through the roof. So to feel in your prime way longer than you thought possible, try Qualia Synolytic up to 50% off it right now. Go to neurohacker.com forward slash divine15. Use the code divine15 at checkout. We'll score you an additional 15% off. Neurohacker backs this product with a 100-day money-back guarantee. Again, get Qualia Synolytic at neurohacker.com, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com slash D-I-V-I-N-E-1-5. Use the code DIVINE15 for an extra 15% off of the 50% off. Go check it out to help feel in your prime for years to come. And now back to the show. You know I come from the Navy SEALs and, and you yes. know, we're like counterculture because we, we appreciate hard. Like we know that hard work works. And easy makes you weak. Not everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> Nobody ever gets a trophy and very few people get the trident. And even when we get the trident, the Navy SEAL insignia, we have to earn it every day. 
That's one of our ethos, earn your trident every day. I love that. So this is something that we we teach with our clients, both corporate and individual as well. And and there's a little bit of adjustment, just like, you know, I want to hear your take on this with the culture. Like someone new comes along and not everyone is is ready for that. And some people opt out. Right. But, you know, after a year or so, all of a sudden they are just absolutely thriving. And like you said, we use the term 20X. They found that they're capable of 20 times more than they thought they were. Yep. And they realize that the power comes from the team and not from themselves. Right. And suddenly the whole culture is thriving. I should have been in the Navy. It's exactly what I believe. You could have been the first female <laughs> Navy SEAL. Yes. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. My husband went to the Citadel. So I'm kind of like, boys need boys schools, but that's all another story. <laughs> Tell us um, a little bit about how you, like more specifically, how you build culture and then maintain it in your organization. Well, you know, there's a few sort of tenets that are tried and true. And those are timeliness. You know, we have a five-minute early rule. If anyone ever breaks that rule, it's me because, you know, I'm in my car talking on another phone call and don't realize. But when I walk into a meeting, everyone's there. So there's just timeliness and there's a respect to that, right? The other thing is accountability. Every Wednesday, we have what I call big staffing. And that's when all the directors from the different departments of all the companies sit around. And that's where I get reports on what's going on. And that's where, you know, everybody says, like, Marsha has this knack. If you know, like, 99 answers to the 100 questions, she's going to ask the one. And I don't know if that's true or false, but it doesn't matter because what we're talking about here is accountability. I believe in nepotism. I have my kids, you know, their spouses, my friends that I got sober with. There's lots of relationships and connectivity within our team, usually. And it doesn't matter what my outside relationship with you is like when we're there. We're there to talk about the business of what's going on with the clients that you're responsible for or the accounts that you're responsible for. And that's when the hard questions, you know, come. And I think when people first start working on that environment, it's scary, right? But it's okay if it's a little scary. You know, when I was in law school, if they asked us a question, we had to stand up and answer it. Do you know how scary it is to stand up? Like there was like 10 women in my whole law school class. And plus, you know, I'm the odd bird because I got three kids. One of them probably with me crying, couldn't go to school because there's a running nose, whatever. But you have to stand up, right? And answer the question and take accountability for what your answer is to the question and how you went about examining that and understanding the fact pattern. And this was the answer that you came out with. And if it's not the right answer, how did you get to the wrong conclusion? And I guess I'm just really trained in that sort of Socratic method of questioning. And I bring that into our team meetings. And by that, our all of the directors bring that into their staff meetings. That's it that just kind of goes along and along. And there's this closeness and there's this, you know, family feel, but there's also this deadly earnestness about what we're doing. And I always tell people, you know, if I'm ever interviewing someone and they start talking to me about work-life balance within the first 30 minutes, like we're done. You know, <laughs> listen, I said, we are running emergency rooms. I don't care what they call them. These are 24 7 rooms. My phone has not been off since 2009, right? And so if you want to talk about work life balance, look down the road. There's a Chase Bank. Their hours are nine to five. I bet you can get a job there. I'll write you a letter of recommendation. I'm kind of being silly and sarcastic right now, but I'm serious. No, no, I, I, I agree with you. There is a place for people who who need that and bureaucrats need that and certain type of people need that kind yep. of like, I go to work and then I go home and I don't, nary the twain shall meet. Yeah. Entrepreneurs are not like that. There is no work-life balance for entrepreneurs. Work is life. Life is work. Exactly. And family is all 
part and parcel of that. Yeah. You got to get them to come work for you so you'll see them, right? <laughs> exactly. My family all works for me. There you know, go. For better or for worse. I always say people like, oh, nepotism is bad. Explain why. Tell me why. Today, um, Haley, my vice president, said, I think we should put Bailey on the bank accounts because you keep missing like things you're supposed to sign. Bailey's my daughter-in-law. I said, put Bailey on the bank accounts. That's a great idea. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's So great. I think that there's just, for me, what I love about what we're doing is to have that family feel, to laugh and have that you know, sort of you know, spirit of levity, but also that deadly earnestness about what we're doing and that accountability. It just kind of brings in, you know, all the different facets of the sort of life that I crave. And the life that I crave is based on connectedness, but it's also based on like hitting home runs. I think that if more people could be more sincere about the life that they crave and more willing to create that life, then I think we would have a lot more successful businesses and happy people. Well, and people haven't been taught how to take the time to really envision a life that they could crave. True. Because they're so distracted with social media and, and comparison analysis, right? So everyone's comparing themselves against everyone else and none of that matters. I mean, the, the first step to destruction is to worry about what other people think about you. It's true. And everyone's out there worrying about what other people think and pointing fingers and comparing and judging. And Two-part question. Do you have like a selection process like in Navy SEALs? Like it takes years to become a Navy SEAL. How do you like make sure that the wrong people don't get in the front door? And two, are you finding challenges like with Gen Z people who are like- They want a six-figure salary with a high school education? Yeah, they want a big salary and they're not, they're not going to answer their email after six o'clock or five o'clock at night and they're not going to work weekends and they want every, you know, all the perks and benefits. It's a big <laughs> problem. I totally agree with you. I don't have much interaction with people like that because- I mean, if you get into behavioral health, you usually start at sort of either if you don't have your education yet, you're going to start as a tech, right? And that's like the lowest man on the totem pole with the most responsibility with absolutely no authority, right? And so that's a grind. And people that are, you know, not really interested in working, they're going to weed themselves out pretty quickly, right? Or then you have the people that, you know, became counselors and got their license and, and stuff like that. And honestly, I think what's happened is kind of like, you know, your reputation precedes you. So we don't have a whole lot of people that are applying to work with us that don't know, like, how we kind of run things. Yeah. It does happen sometimes. Law of attraction. It's kind of like the SEALs. It's a law of attraction instead of recruiting. It is. And if they're there and they're not, like, team-minded and collaborative, it, it just doesn't last long. Right. Because it's sort of a red herring, I guess. You know, as a female entrepreneur and CEO, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face that you think, you know, like I wouldn't necessarily have had to face or, or don't face? I don't know if you're familiar with that Taylor Swift song about, I think it's called If I Were the Man. So. I don't think I've ever heard a Taylor Swift song, but uh, you can sing it for me, Missy, if I recognize it. I can't sing it, but I can tell you what it <laughs> says. It says basically like, if I'm aggressive, I'm a bitch. If I'm, you know, smart or if I'm, you know, like, you know, way ahead of the game and some kind of a, you know, business model or whatever, then, you know, too big for my britches. Or mm -hmm. I don't know how to say this. I never really paid that much attention to being a woman because I was just always kind of worried about, you know, raising kids and putting food on the table. So mm -hmm. yeah, I knew that there weren't being women in my law school, but it didn't really start to sort of negatively impact my reputation until I got successful in behavioral health. What happens is, I actually did a talk on this in Aspen earlier this year. In this industry, for whatever reason, 
there's this sort of underlying current that you need to be a nonprofit or you need to be a martyr or you need to, you know, stay small, just stay small, stay humble, all those things. And I kind of came out of the gate and said, I'm calling BS on this. There's plenty of people that are in this industry that don't care about patient outcome, that are making boatloads of money that you guys know nothing about. Mm -hmm. So why is it that the players that are actually developing like really effective programs, why are we being shunned or talked about or called unethical because we have good outcomes and we have good financials? And I sort of, you know, stepped in and said, these are not mutually exclusive. We can have excellent programs. We can have, you know, every single one of my employees has all their health insurance, all their, you know, everything's paid for by the company. We, you know, agree to reimburse for, you know, further education. All these things are good and all these things are happening. And we're also profitable. But sort of all the, the buzz was, you know, What's she doing down there in Texas to make all this money? You know, and then <laughs> back in the five or six years ago, everybody was like, you know, doing all these drug screens and, you know, charging insurance thousands of dollars for drug screens and all this stuff. And um, I had just opened my fourth program and I started hearing the rumor that this one guy was saying, you know, oh, Marcy's got a drug lab. She's got a drug lab at the back of that 70 acres. And, and that's how she's making all this money off urine tests and drug tests and blood tests and all this stuff. It was total crap. I ran into this guy at a conference and I was like, hey, I heard that there's a lab on my big property down in Austin. Can you help me find it? Like, where is this lab? I don't know anything <laughs> about this lab. Yeah. And uh, everybody's like, what did he say? And I was like, he got really interested in his shoestrings, right? I mean, he was like that. <laughs> but um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, Yes, it's harder. Yes, it's harder to be taken seriously as a woman in this industry. I will own that. But at the same time, if you're true, if you're brave, if you're willing to speak out, if you have courage and you're honest, you can step into that and you can make it different because now it's kind of like I've changed my whole sort of persona and reputation, I guess, has kind of evolved over the years to like, she's not a bullshitter. I mean, she, Marcia's a truth teller. She'll tell you like it is. Mm -hmm. And I own that, right? I'll own that. I will not own Marcia's unethical. I will not own Marcia's got a P lab. I will not own, you know, Marsha's, you know, running scams with insurance because that's not true. I will own Marsha pushes her employees. Marsha demands, you know, excellence. Marsha requires that people, you know, work certain hours or whatever. And so I just kind of have gotten to the point. Also, I turned 50 and I think when you turn 50, you just don't care as much. So I'm just kind of like, you know, like, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, listen, all y'all are young enough to be my children. Like, have some respect. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I love it. So if a uh, young woman's listening to this and be like, I really want to be an entrepreneur. You were a JD and an attorney. I was an MBA and then a Navy SEAL. And then I became an entrepreneur. And I, I, like, I found a lot of benefit from being a Navy SEAL and maybe not so much the MBA. And you found a lot of benefit from being an attorney and yeah. finding your voice and you know, learning how to argue or an argument. Would you say to the young woman, you know, hey, just start whatever it is you want to start? Or would you say, go cut your teeth somewhere before you start a venture? That's a good question. I think the biggest thing for me that there were times in my life when before I became, you know, more comfortable in calling myself an entrepreneur and a successful business person, and there were plenty of times where I was like, God, why did I have to go to law school if I'm not even going to practice law? Like, that was a lot. It's training your mind a certain way. That's the way I look at it. It is. It's training your mind, and it gave me discipline, and it gave me the ability to, you know, think analytically. And most of all, to answer, to go back to what you asked, 
it gave me confidence. And I think that sometimes when you're sort of like staring down the barrel of the shotgun, so to speak, you know, the, the baker's calling you or the, you know, whatever, like, you know, the, the licensure person is calling you and you're going to stare down the barrel sometimes in business. And it's like at the end of the day, you know, you're the one that's on the hook. And I think whatever training you had before, whatever life you had before gives you confidence and also gives you perspective. And so whatever your product is that you're creating or buying or selling or whatever you're doing, the product is important. But for me, if I'm honest, I think like the confidence and the sort of chutzpah and the and the know-how and the drive, those are the things that I think makes any business successful, much less than the product. It's not the technical skills or the product itself. It's the character of the leader and the team. Yeah. So I would say take a little time, get your knees skinned, Get up, brush them off, yeah. go to bed sad, wake up happy, do it all again. <laughs> There's lessons there, you know? Without the two bottles of wine a night. Oh, my God. I don't even know. Like, looking back now, how did I even How did I even function? I mean, I remember some days, like, taking a couple shots before I went and, like, tried a murder case. I mean, it's unbelievable. But I think that grit is grit is grit. And also... When you're 29, you don't need as much sleep as you do when you're 50. That's it's true. <laughs> I am blown away when I look back at the things that I used to do in my 20s. I'm like, I don't have any idea like how I survived. I don't have any energy anymore to do all those. Like, wow. <laughs> no, you can't. No, I can't. We got to wrap up pretty soon. But so you you kind of got out of your, your other thing. That was BRC Healthcare. Yeah. Now you're free. Tell us about your foundation program. So I started a new platform called Foundation Stone, Family of Programs. My last name is Stone, but I chose Foundation Stone because there's lines in our recovery literature that talk about helping others being the foundation stone of mission, life, journey, recovery. And that really resonated with me because that's like, that's the first thing I think about in the morning and the last thing I think about at night, right? And helping other people and creating ways and vessels and programs to help other people, that's the deal, right? That's the whole deal. So we started that, and um, I'm doing uh, more mental health-friendly um, and encompassing programs these days. I've got one in Austin and one in Pensacola. Not addiction-related? Addiction as well. Addiction, but mental health can be separate from that, yeah. Well, yeah, and to look at it as more holistic, right? I mean, because most people that come in, there's mental health components, there's addiction, there's alcoholism, there's genetics. There's a huge issue in our country right now with mental health. Post-COVID, I mean, people are really suffering. So that's yeah. that's really necessary. For sure. I mean, it was bad, right? It was bad before COVID and all that isolation and all that social media. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a pandemic. And, you know, that's what we're really focusing on now. And um, I think we're going to do a program next in Nashville, which I'm excited about. It's just fun to be back in it, you know. Are these all in-person, like, have to be there in person type programs or do you have anything virtual? Yes, these three are residential programs. We are creating a virtual aftercare model, which I'm really excited about. That'll probably be launched next year. You know, really the deal mark is just like I'm just always striving to create new and better and more inclusive programs to help more people. When I boil it all the way down, that's what drives me. That's what my purpose is. That's what sets my heart on fire. And Ultimately, I just feel really, really, very, very grateful to be able to sort of swim in that pond every day. And um, it's good. It's good. Life is good when you're doing what you love and what you're, what needs to be done. It's not for everybody, right? But it's good for me. No, no. It's good for you. And like everyone has, this is my belief, everyone has a singular purpose that, that's unique to them. Yeah. Like there's something that only Marsha Stone can do. 
and you found it and you're doing it in a big way. Yeah. And so it's not work. It's just pure joy. And yeah, you have your ups and downs. Of course. I'm at my house right now, you know, my French bulldog's pawing on the door. I'm going to go like, you know, play with him next. And then I'm going to get on the phone with a client and I'm grateful. Life is really good. And I'm grateful for every drink I ever drank, every other drug I ever did. I'm grateful that the Bar Association, you know, kicked my butt to go to treatment, you know, again and again and again. And I'm grateful for all those hard lessons to come out on the other side and say to people like, I was just like you. Come on. We've got a, we've got a solution here. Like there's lots of life for you to live in the future. And um, that's what I do. I love that. And I love no regrets is a big theme of ours. Like you can't hang on. And yeah, we all have fuck ups and disasters in our lives. It's just part of being human. That's life. Let it go and forgive yourself and forgive whoever you think hurt you. Forgive the alcohol, you know, just let it go. That's right. And move on. Live life forward. No regrets. It's true. Well done. It's good. Uh, such an honor to meet you, Marsha. I appreciate your your time today and for doing the work. And it's a lot of a lot of people need your your help. So I'm really stoked that you're doing the mental health. Thank you. Foundationstoneprograms.com. Check it out. Do you have social media? MarshaStone.com and all the all the links and icons and buttons are, are there so my kids are like mom <laughs> you know you have got to get on tiktok and i'm like i can't even set an alarm clock what are you talking about you know? <laughs> <laughs> i totally i know what you're saying i gotta tell you a quick quick story um so i have an 11 year old granddaughter and um this is like two years ago i got a, a call from someone on the east coast and simultaneously i got a like a in-mail linkedin from someone in the Pentagon. And the call on the East Coast came from Washington. DC. They said, Mark Devine, this is Commander Devine. Yeah, yeah. So your granddaughter has hacked into your Instagram account and is doing a live, is doing an Instagram live. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I figured out how to log on because I don't even log on to my own accounts. I mean, I have a team that does that stuff, right? Like you probably. Right. And, and there she is. And she's like, yeah, thumbs hashtag grandpa's account. Oh my and, god! Uh, I actually gained some followers, and, and I lost a few, I'm sure. But it was just a hilarious thing. That's hilarious. I love it that the Pentagon is like watching over your Instagram account. I like. I know that made me a little a bit nervous. Deal exactly. now, okay, like you just risen to the top of the big deal status. <laughs> <laughs> They've obviously. I think either I've done something really awful, or they're kind of like what I'm doing. Yeah. Anyways, Marcia, thanks so much for your time, and uh, good luck with everything. Thank you. It's been really fun. Yeah, I look forward to staying in touch. Likewise. Take care. A great interview with Marsha Stone. Thank you so much for your time. Very humbled by the work that you're doing. You've got some great ideas on how to build culture and how to lead in a world that is slightly bonkers. Um, so good job there. And the work you're doing with mental health and addiction recovery is very, very important. So thank you, Marsha. Show notes are up on our website at markdevine.com. And YouTube will be up on our YouTube channel. You can find me on X at Mark Devine and on Instagram or Facebook at Real Mark Devine or through my LinkedIn profile. If you're not on the Divine Inspiration newsletter, consider going to markdevine.com to subscribe. It comes out every Tuesday where I share a blog, show notes from the week's podcast, a book I'm reading, other interesting and inspirational things that come across my desk. You can also learn about some of the programs and offerings at SealFit or Unbeatable Mind, our companies. Shout out to my incredible team of Jeff Haskell and Catherine Devine and Jason Sanderson, who help bring great guests like Marsha to you every week and put out the newsletter. If you haven't done so, please consider reviewing the show or rating it and reviewing it wherever you listen. It helps other people find it and it keeps us at the top of the ranks. Hoo-yah! 
And I appreciate you. Thank you for being part of the change you want to see in the world. That change has to happen one person at a time, but we can do that at scale through technologies like this podcast. So appreciate you being part of it. Until next time, be unbeatable. Booyah. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.